This episode is brought to you by Liquid IV. Guys, if you don't know what Liquid IV is, we'll buckle up because I'm going to throw you a game changer. Liquid IV is a hydration multiplier that not only tastes great, but is a non-GMO electric light drink mix. Powered by cellular transport technology to deliver hydration to the body faster and more efficiently than water can just do alone. One stick contains three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks with five essential vitamins. Now, I pride myself on telling you about things that I either already like or just use in my everyday life. And I have to say, I've actually been a fan of Liquid IV for a long, long time now. I use it for everything from, you know, just long runs to stay in shape, all those late nights with those after hours or just when I'm feeling a little dehydrated. I turn to it so it could just, my God, set me straight, make me feel like a million bucks again, and just get me ready for the day. So please head on over to their website. That's liquid-iv.com to check out their amazing line of products. And get this, when you use promo code Art of the Beholder, all one word, you'll get 20% off your order. Now, if you need a little direction on where to start, I recommend Lemon Lime. Guys, you're going to love it, won't be disappointed. So please give it a shot and get more fuel for life's adventures. Now, back to the show. Greetings and salutations, all you beautiful people, and welcome to another episode of Art of the Beholder, a show dedicated to all things eclectic in the world of art, where we do deep dives into deep cuts and help you understand why damn things matter. I'm your host, Novo Day, and today we're going to be talking about art in television, focusing on the first season of House of the Dragon. To hash it out, ooh, you guys are in for a treat again today, we have a roundtable with nothing but the best joining us today is the dracaris brothers themselves first is our ndp president the prince of house anderson lord of dorn clayton the merciful first of his name sir clayton anderson welcome back to the show hi seven hells gods be good <laughs> welcome it's good to be back and also joining us today is our favorite knight Prince of House Buck, Lord of the White Mountain, a.k.a. No Quarter Buck or Buck the Merciless, second of his name, Sir Augustus Leopold Theodore the Buck. Sir Buck, welcome back to the show. I, I was not told the boss would be here today. <laughs> so I'm, the, I'm a little thrown off right the now. The NDP president? Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, I, I don't know this guy very well. <laughs> I, I don't know what his agenda is, but okay, we'll get I, I, um, This is bad timing. I... I introduced him as Prince. He's actually King now since he is oh, the it's boss. King. Oh, yeah. Okay. yeah. Yeah. It's King of House Anderson now. So why are we talking about House of the Dragon today? So guys, I know what you're thinking. This isn't your normal. It, uh, what the fuck you guys doing? This is the pop culture shit. There's a hundred and or a million and one other shows doing this. I, I know. I hear you. I hear you. But hear me out. This is important and it, it deserves to be on one of these shows and not is it art because... It marks a new era in television, just like Game of Thrones marked a new era in television and streaming for quality and production in the medium at its time. So, too, does House of the Dragon, because it acts as a natural evolution to these models and marks what the future may hold for television entertainment. Now, before we can discuss, of course, well, we all need a little background. So the series premiered on August 21st. 
2022, with the first season consisting of 10 episodes. It's based on the novel Fire and Blood by George R.R. Martin. The show depicts the House Targaryen dynasty 200 years before the events of Game of Thrones, which is also based on his novel series A Song of Ice and Fire. It focuses on the Targaryen Civil War of Succession, a.k.a. The Dance of Dragons. You can also see this as 172 years before the birth of Daenerys Targaryen, and thus acts as a prequel to the original show. Now, before we can hash it out, we all need a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by the novel The Entropy Sessions, a tale of loss, love, and madness in our past, present, and future relationships with technology. Find it on Amazon and as an audiobook through Audible. Your support helps us continue our journey. Now, back to the show. So, first things first, gentlemen, we need to do some first impressions. I'm going to hand it over to King anderson first what was your first impression of this season i uh, i really enjoyed it it was it's appointment television again right where game of thrones left off uh, and it took us back to the world where we loved in the two things that we love most about game of thrones dragons and incest no I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> dragons and great dialogue we do love that as well yes uh same with clayton um you know it's funny because you know hbo it, they they've got Sunday nights locked down. They have for a long time. Oh yeah. I mean, back when you know, I remember when I re- first started watching HBO. It was a show we all used to watch a lot. It was Entourage. That's what oh, yeah. really kind of got me in. Again, I, I agree with Clayton. It's appointment television. Um, one thing that they do the knock just not they always knock it out of the park with this is their casting. I think they did a great mm-hmm. job with this and. Um, yeah, Ooh, I put thought, a pin in that. Yes, I want to. I want to argue with you a little bit. I think. Oh, okay. Yeah, All right. but overall, I think I'm gonna, I, I think I'm going to play devil's advocate because, uh, based on uh, that's what I wanted to know off the first impressions. Because guys, we didn't talk about this pre-show, so anybody listening, this is all going to be a little um, new to 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 the group to, and definitely me. Let's start with you, Clayton. Were you very Were you happy with? the overall season before we dive into the details yes and there was there's basically two reasons they went back to the got glory years um with sapochnik um show running it and the source material yeah i i was very happy with it knowing uh some of the background material a little bit um yeah i i totally loved it Okay, because my first impression was I I I wasn't in love with it actually. Now now before uh, the Twitter mob comes after me, why why no though? I I grew to like it. Yes, I I I think at first I think I was biased based off the fact that I absolutely loved Game of Thrones. I was I was I was first generation too. I was into it before a lot of like the world got into it, and it was cool. Yeah, and it's a blessing you, and a you curse. Cried, you cried at school. After <laughs> I you cried at the red, 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 red reading, everything, yes. And so I, I think I was comparing it too much to that, honestly. And I thought I was like, of course, how my brain works, you know, just looking at things like cinematography, I was like, ah, oh, it's a little too perfect looking. It's not as gritty and dark and and all these things. And um, I think part of the reason was the time jumps too, where I was like, are we just going to watch House of the Teen Drama this whole season? Like, I thought the first, I, I thought it was going to be the young cast through the whole first season, since first seasons are usually world builders and character developers and, you know, just, just getting, just getting our feet wet, right? With the story. Yeah, and I go deeper on the time jumps. 
Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. yeah. We're going to talk about that. And so I thought I think I think once we got past kind of the first few episodes, I was invested. I was like, okay, okay. now we're getting so like to me in my head, if we were to graph it out, it had just a very nice linear line of quality. I just felt like it kept getting better and better and better. And that's why I was like the first few episodes, if it was just going to be House of the Teen Drama, I was like, I don't know if I can keep getting into this shit. But once we finally got into some more of the meat, um, I I started to to really get invested and fall in love with the characters and, and getting back to that old classic Game of Thrones. I think that's the difference between you and me. I, I just I love those teen dramas. You know how I cannot <laughs> get enough of those. And, you know, I watch the CW just constantly so i know how much you love the hot d not house of the dragon but the- yeah. <laughs> we're we're talking about hot d on aotb today guys not that hot d house of the dragon so let's talk about plot um let's talk about plot story plot narrative so yeah as i already kind of hinted at um you know these first seasons kind of act as you know we've seen this historically is a lot of first seasons with any show could sometimes be one of the weakest ones because they have to build the world. But luckily, this is a prequel to an already established show. The world is kind of already built if you're into the if you're into Game of Thrones. So, uh, Buck, let's start with you. How did you like kind of how they they built the story, the plot, and of course how they gave it to us through the narrative? So, yeah, with any TV show, you gotta kind of and when you adapt it from book, you have to kind of take some liberties and and how you build it and try to mold it into a story. Cause again, they are trying to make money and they're trying to get people, you know, eyeballs on their, uh, their app there. So, Oh yeah. The- they're trying to lock us in like slaves. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we yeah. can never, we're never allowed to get we're away never- because, cause there'll be some new show that we're like, ah, fuck, I better just keep my membership. You know, um, my subscription. I there there was a couple things where I, I had a little bit of an issue with, I, I do think, I don't know, Clayton, we, I we hadn't talked about this before, but uh, there was two kind of shows that were competing against each other at the same time, actually, technically. But the other one was The Lord of the Rings. Uh, yeah. And if I could compare the two on this, this was way more well done plot wise, way more structured. wise. I didn't watch Rings of Power, so you you watched the full <laughs> season. Yeah, Be- Bezos, <laughs> he, he threw his 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 uh, dick rocket money at it. And and bought bought you know this whole you know rights to make this thing and and he he did a lot of they did a lot of things that I didn't agree with with this one the the biggest one of the biggest gripes I had was kind of what we did in the last two seasons of the Game of Thrones series mm. is that we sped run everything so yeah. travel was just not and I know this sounds like a little nitpick thing but you know we're flying to like hundreds and uh, miles to different places to set up these different events. And we're doing it like in, you know, you know, just hop on a dragon, fly over there, just get, (laughs) I wish I could hop on a dragon and fly. Yeah. I mean, mean, you know, some of these, you know, some of these distances were pretty far. Um, Uh, That was the only, that is a nitpick. I don't know that they were this time though, because we weren't, we weren't going North, you know, we weren't going that far North. Yeah, so like the one, the the fun, the one, and I think the biggest gripe in Game of Thrones was Danny was flying. Yeah, north like of the wall, like, north of the wall, right. to King's Landing or something like in a day or something like that. Yeah, I, I mean it's a little nitpicky. It just felt like you know they are sailing across different areas. It just, I don't know. It just felt like they were. <laughs> 
kind of ignoring that and and I, that drives that drives me uh, a little nuts sometimes well i think the concept of time as a whole was thrown off throughout the entire season because of the time jumps and so what you you, you weren't sure necessarily like uh i was talking with my wife about the funeral for lena and when they had her ceremony and i was like this i mean did this take place a week later a month yeah. later we don't really know and our whole sense of time is thrown off because one time jump was like two years and another time jump was six years and and you know there was a lot of whinging as i also say in, in <laughs> game of thrones fashion online about the time jumps but i think the biggest difference that isn't being talked about with house of the dragon versus game of thrones is we're going multiple generations sure with house yeah. of the dragon and and game yep. of thrones really was on you know, it started when Sansa was 10 and it ended when she was like 22, like 12 years. That was it. And we got it seven seasons to cover 12 years. Yep. We've already gone over 12 years in one season. I think we've gone 20 America. something. <laughs> well, and, and to your guys's point, and especially that last point, I would say not only that the, the time jumps were inconsistent, I think the aging was inconsistent. Like, I'll just say one name, Sir Kristen Cole. Like he looked exactly the same through every single dude. time jump. Yeah. He's got that Dornish, that that <laughs> like, good come on. blood. Like King Olive skin. Like King Ooh. King Viserys was aging like exponentially. Oh yeah, and <laughs> I think the leprosy about a has something to do with that. Yeah, and and then yeah, it was just like very inconsistent with what they how they wanted to age the characters with the time jumps is my point, and I think that really it was just a it was just a sore thumb, you know, like it really stuck out. But I would say just to give this uh, first season an overall um, synopsis and analysis is I just like I, I hinted at you know first seasons being this. Um, world building uh, series of of stories and plots. I think they did a good job, regardless of yes, the constructive criticisms of the time jumps and how they portrayed those time jumps to us with the characters and how they looked and and things like that. I think they did a good job of establishing with dialogue and you know this is where they this is where they fucking shine right is is that writing and making sure that we have enough uh, information even if it's limited one sentence to really understand the characters and that's why after we got past the first couple of episodes and a type jump to them being adults i felt like those first couple of episodes were really almost like the first season of this season you know in a way like it helped build the world already and we already had a lot of the world from game of thrones that once we actually got to the adults and then the civil war started to started to kind of percolate we saw it kind of on the horizon especially with Otto and things like that and allison um i felt like okay now now we get into the meat of what what why we love game of thrones which is you know two or three or more people in a room having that dialogue and then we're talking about conspiracies and scheming and politics and war waging and all of the uh, strategy, you know, all, all of the th stuff we just we salivate for as fans. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think they when they got past what, you know, that the needed exposition past that part, I feel like we were we were already there in season one, which is hard to do, honestly, because if you think of Game of Thrones as a good comparison, it took really the whole season to world build with the the killing of Ned Stark, Sean Bon or Sheen Bean. I'm kidding. <laughs> scene. 
<laughs> Sean Bon, Sheen That's Bean. A, my my sister thought Sean Connery's name was Sean Connery. Oh come on, real yeah, no. I'm not kidding. You, you know my sister. I'm I'm not making this up. lady (laughs) lady of the white mountain your sister so let's dive into with that being said we've talked about the story and i thought i thought guys let's let's end let's conclude the this this segment with this i thought the the stuff we love was there by the end especially Mm -hmm. the that last shot no spoil uh, we'll probably get the spoilers tough titties but when when the godzilla with fucking wings that's how big that dragon was ate the oh other boy. dragon you that know cool. we were cool. in for it i felt like i can't yeah. wait for season 2 now kind of thing yeah, that, was awesome. that wasn't even the last shot if you remember the last yeah. shot was well, the last shot well i mean yeah the yeah. last shot was her right last her shot. turning around and learning the, the nerd, news yeah. and like the, the danny i'm going to scorch the earth look like, yeah, she's, she's uh, going to be the most hated character by the end of this series. You th- wait, ooh, 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 you think you think Rhaenyra's is going to be the most hated? Oh yeah. Okay, let's dive ooh, into the characters okay. then. Okay, yeah. so uh, Millie Alcock, we got to give the love to the the actual performers. Millie Alcock played young Rhaenyra, and yeah. Emma Darcy played adult uh, Rhaenyra. And um, God, let's start there. I didn't, I didn't see this coming. Why do you feel that way, Mister Buck, Sir Buck? Um. Well, if you kind of know the story, <laughs> put you on the spot. The background, and then have you read Fire and Blood? I, 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 ha- I own it. I have not read through the whole thing, but um, okay. I, I kind of was trying to get caught up before this started because it was supposed to be two volumes, and he's and George R. R. Martin is playing is pulling a, a classic Martin where he hasn't finished the second volume, right? Yeah, and 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 you know, folks, if you're if you're getting a little upset and you're listening to this and you're like, spoilers, I don't want to hear this. The the plot. If you watch the tough titties, series, this is this is internet etiquette. Yeah, plot was already given. Don't click on the show like if you don't want to know. when yeah, they basically they've already told you what happens in this in in the story. Um, right. No, I you know I I think um, just from what I know the story, but I think they're gonna you know I'm gonna do my uh, George Lucas. It's it's poetry. It rhymes. <laughs> I think they're gonna try to do like Come what on. as uh, Clayton said. <laughs> With uh, Danny, they're they're going to kind of mimic that a little bit. Oh, okay. They're gonna. Um, so you think there's going to be an arc into a madness kind of? Arc? Yeah, I think that, that they're going to try to keep that theme with the Targaryens is that they're just kind of doomed, and you know. Mm, okay, but yeah, but doomed doesn't necessarily mean hated. You know. know, she can be a tra. I think tragic characters, like Shakespearean characters, can be doomed but not hated. That's why I was I was I I that's why my ears perked up. I'm like, why do you feel like she's gonna be hated though? I, I just think that's the way they're gonna write it. I mean, they've already been kind of they've they've done some different things with some of the characters, but I I, I you know, I don't want to jump the gun here, but mm. I, I think I that's my prediction right now. Uh I think it's very interesting as I was kind of rehashing the characters, it's really hard. It's it's hard for us as the viewers not to make direct comps to gear characters that were in game of thrones i'm wondering if it was also hard for the writers to do the same thing oh yeah. i'm sure it was and, oh yeah and whether or not they are purposely writing these characters or at some point may purposely write these characters to be different than the one than the character that we are everybody is clearly comparing them to from game of thrones so that that will be interesting to see in in future seasons because I think there was a ton of direct comps. What's uh, your prediction then? I think you know 
there's there's no white characters. Uh, black white, not not white white. You know, what not I mean? like R- not like white. racially white. Yeah, <laughs> you mean right. <laughs> like, figuratively speaking? Yes. Uh, yes. All characters are a shade of gray. Let's rephrase it that way. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and I think you just <laughs> now, are now. going to end up picking which shade of gray you're most comfortable with, and, mm. and it might not be the same for every viewer, which is part of the brilliance of this show is the dialogue and the scheming uh, makes you love some characters sometimes and, you know, hate them other times. It really yeah. drives uh, a lot uh, Jamie L- Lannister comes to mind immediately. We, we hated Jamie. him. Hated him, loved hated him. Hated him, and then I loved him later. Him. Yeah. Right. And then and Jane, Damon's Damon, a good, Damon a good example is, of that. Yeah, Damon is Jamie to me. Uh, he does some some great things where he's clearly playing that fatherly role to his kids and Rhaenyra's bastard sons, um, which I'll, I'll not have to get my tongue for, for saying that. Yeah. Um, no, he, he was beheaded from, like, nose level. Like, it was a hardcore fucking brutal scene. I thought, I was right. like, oh, shit. It's, I, like, jumped. Excellent. Yeah. But, but in that same scene, the same scene had my favorite moment of the entire show, where Damon does the, say it, I dare ya. You know? <laughs> yeah. And then... And he does that, and then he offers it. But I will say is- this before we go, before we pull it back, is uh, the guy that I, I, uh, someone correct me if they know this, the guy that actually played that Valerian, I thought was one of the best actors in the oh, whole show. Matt Smith in the show? Yeah. 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 No, 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 not Matt Smith, not Damon, the guy that played the Valerian uh, that said, oh, Damon. you know, they're bastards. The guy that, that actually was playing mm-hmm. the guy that was the eventually assassinated um i was like oh my god like he really stole the show and he was in it for like two minutes you know um but you could tell he was shakespeare you know since this is an art show that he was shakespeareanly trained most likely like how he most how he presented them are. yeah yeah most that's true yeah. Yeah. most of yeah. them are and i mean again like you said he was a great actor I, I know we're getting up to probably my favorite of the whole thing but like man they just Again, I, I can't say enough. I, I think they knock it out of the park with some of their casting. And at least HBO and, and the kind of like the, you know, that kind of core that they have, you know, it's kind of like adult Disney. You know how <laughs> Disney always has like, R-rated Disney I like actors that. and stuff yeah. like that. Uh, HBO and, and now Warner Brothers really have this kind of group and. I, I, I think I got to push back a little bit. I think I'm, I'm going to be playing devil's advocate all, all show. So I, I do like, I, you know, everyone is very talented and they're all fucking amazing, uh, better actors than all of us combined. Right. But I did, again, I can't help but compare it to, to the, the actual uh, predecessor Game of Thrones. Cause I felt like those, that casting was so perfect that I remember guys, Remember when you saw them like on Fallon or something like that and your mind was blown because you're like, oh, my, I can't. They're regular people in real life. Like, I felt like they fit into the world so well, especially uh, Amelia Clark as Daenerys Targaryen. I remember I even thought that was her real hair that was either dyed or something like that. I had no idea it was a wig that she was a brunette in real life. Whereas now here's my point. Whereas going back to these this casting, though, very good. Don't get me wrong. I still felt like, you know we were watching a staged play that was recorded for television. You know, I felt, I felt like that was, I wasn't completely transported. How long did it take for you to get to that point with the game of Thrones characters to feel like they were immediately first season, first season. No way. 
Yeah, Daenerys, first season. Daenerys was, it was a nobody in the first season. Yeah, but I was talking about all characters combined. Where like I, I mean, obviously we had a big name. We had we had Sean Bean as Ned Stark. So Sheen of course Bean. I've <laughs> Sean Bean, Sean Bond. I I've I've seen him. You know, as fucking 006 and you know Golden mm-hmm. Eye and stuff like that. So no, that was you were you were getting ready for him to say for England, James. <laughs> but yeah you know i i felt like but for the rest of them even fucking you know uh john snow i i felt like i was very very transported and that that we'll get to this i think part of that is because of the cinematography it's it's such a different looking show in a very subtle way especially with lighting and a lot of other things before we get there let's let's dive let's pull it back and, and dive back in, into some more of the characters and a couple of the supporting characters now i know what you're thinking guys too everyone listening you're we're not going to touch on everybody. We don't have time for that. We just got to touch on the best of the best. And that brings us to Emily Carey, who played the young Allison, and Olivia Cook, who played adult Allison, Allison Hightower or Queen Allison Hightower. Now, I <laughs> before before I pass it to you guys, I think she did a great job. To me, she was essentially the Karen of Westeros through most of the season, like getting upset about the dumbest things. Like, can I talk to your manager, please? I, you know, I thought both of them did a great job. I've, I've been a huge fan of Olivia Cook for a while. Um, mm, I think, okay. I think it was Bates Motel was the first time I saw her. Yeah. I was trying to think about that, but I think she's a great actress. The thing that was kind of funny about all this is they, the two actresses that they, they got to play the younger versions of themselves, the age difference. They did really between, good. Yeah. They did a really good job, but the age difference really isn't that much. Uh, I was looking at, it's only like seven, eight years between the, some of those uh the casting but it's just funny how you know they purposely chose people to look younger and, and some that look a little bit older but i i think you know i think she did a great job you know olivia cook especially i the younger actress emily is it emily carey yeah emily carey yeah yeah i thought she did good too i i just didn't think she was as great as maybe millie Al- alcock did um but um i yeah they did they did a great job. It was really great. Yeah. We, yeah. I think she really I, stood out. Yeah. I, I think when they got, you know, that scene where they were, you know, where they're in uh, talking about one of the boys getting his face basically, you know, sliced in half. Yeah. And she's, that was awesome. Like those acting chops came in. What That whole scene was really tense. So I thought she did a great job throughout the series. Yeah. I, it, it was very interesting to me. I, I, at least Twitter rumor, so maybe it's not true, but I like to think it's true <laughs> that the uh, the um, they actually cast the adults first, really? and they and then- based the child actors uh, Millie and Emily uh, on their adult counterparts, and so to get somebody like Millie as with as great of a performance when she was largely the third or fourth person cast between those two roles is amazing right to to your point about hbo knows casting alicent to me is the single most conflicted character in the show oh why she you it's it's a roller coaster ride for her the whole show about who she uh wants to fall in line with you know at first Rainier is her friend then she's her stepmom then she's her enemy then she's another fellow mother and and you know we're leaving with I think she's going to be the opposite side of the head of the opposite side of the warring faction. Um, and so you just see this, like we're friends. We're not, we're friends. We're not. And <laughs> we're struggling with it the entire time and, you know, wanting to get stuff done and be merciful 
and then not realizing that, oh yeah, I sent my like, uh, you know, my side hustle guy off to burn people alive. So <laughs> yeah, I, I get, I think I get it on a very superficial level. I think there's a lot of deep and intricacies to to her character at, in conjunction with Renera. Um, but I, I get it. Like putting myself in her shoes, you know, I got to bang, I got to bang this old dude while Renaris is having, you know, hot girl summer over here with, yeah. with Sir Kristen Cole and my uncle. And a uncle. And, I got <laughs> to get information. I got to show my feet to, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's why I was, I was joking about her being kind of the Karen of Westeros and she's got like an OnlyFans account. She's sending all these feet pics to, yeah, she's uh, on, uh, Lord Laris over here. She's on uh, wiki feet. Which is a thing, by the way. Um, and that brings us to... Um, so I have to give a shout out to my wife, TV Del Rio, because she thinks King Viserys... I'll, I'll tee you up with this, guys. King Viserys, the first Targaryen, played by Patty Considine. Considine. Mm-hmm. Um, I apologize if I'm butchering that name. Uh, should win an Emmy for his role as King Viserys. Oh, yeah. 100%. Your wife, your wife is smart. So, yeah. Yep. <laughs> He did an awesome job. I think I read an article where uh, George uh, Martin came up to him and said, your Viserys is better than mine. No shit. Yeah. Wow. Like the written yeah. Viserys? Yeah. Okay. Because, yeah, that's a good point. Going back to the the story and, and um, actual, the source material for a little bit. So this was based, you know, it's not in third person like the rest of the books are. This one is kind of built like in a historian telling us about the past, right? And yeah. fire and blood. And um, so there's a lot of things that the actual show, the HBO show, Hot D has to insert, no pun intended. <laughs> they have to they have to make sure they have to fill in the gaps because not all of the source material is telling us everything or how it's played out. So they, when they're bringing it to a visual medium, they're having to kind of fill in the gaps. And uh, yeah, King Viserys or Patty hit it out of the park. His performance, you can feel both his physical pain from the leprosy and his emotional pain. Like he was ruined when his first wife, Emma died and you can, and that's obviously the catalyst for everything that between that in, well, that was the first episode. And then the dinner scene, which was my favorite dinner scene scene was, yeah, that was, that was my favorite scene of the entire, that was the apex. Yes. Absolutely. Um, So much emotion, such a roller coaster in acting. You know, like an acting masterclass. Him telling his family how much they mean to him and how he needs them to stop fighting. You're like, man, I, I feel like I should, you know, need to go apologize to my sister for that thing I did like 10 years ago to her. Like, you know, he was he was a grandfather to everyone. And and his deathbed scene, I think, was powerful. You know, I really felt, you know, did, did the real actor die in real life? You know, you felt very transported in that scene. I, I agree with everything uh, Clayton was saying, like, you know, I, I didn't think of it in that way. I like how you said how you could you could kind of feel you know his pain and his struggle just through his acting stuff. That's when you know somebody's just great. You feel like you're there in the room with them. We've said it like this in our other shows. There's a there's a big difference between a, just a you know a regular actor and definitely a movie star like Tom Cruise and a thespian. Like yep. these are thespians. Like yeah. like really take their craft seriously and really really want to want to become the characters and help the audience be transported and that um that brings us to uh i think another kind of (laughs) character and actor that i think will was i think controversial and 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 when they were first were cast 
And I'm going to probably play Devil's Advocate. I'll come in last, though. I'll let you guys start. So Prince Damon Targaryen. The character, like I said, I kind of alluded to earlier, he's he's a perfect great character. He does dark, super dark things like murder his wife. Uh, mm. <laughs> <and> <laughs> yeah. At the same but, time, you know, he will go to war and you're like, gosh, like I would follow that guy into battle because uh, he's just awesome at war. Um, yeah, he's a leader. Yeah. And... And, you know, he's great with the kids and he knows when to step in and be like, ah, you know, we're not we're not settling this with swords, guys. Go to your room. Um, and so he's wonderfully gray. I think the most interesting thing for him was seeing his growth from episode one where he's he's very ornery, surly, which Matt Smith, that that is his wheelhouse is playing in ornery, surly. But and then towards the end, you know, you start seeing when Lena uh, is going through the the breach childbirth uh he doesn't know what to do right he saw mm. what happened to his brother and now he's like I, I i know how to fight and then when renair is going through the same thing i know how to fight i can't deal with the women's battlefield as it was referred to let me <laughs> see the men's and and i thought i thought matt smith did a good job at that but but my you know i think everybody's favorite part is when matt smith is playing the ornery surly pushing the buttons type of character no yeah every time i see you know the 11th doctor uh on on the screen here um I, i'm always <laughs> I, I always like matt smith uh and anything that he does really um, yeah. yeah i didn't know you're a matt smith fan oh yeah yeah like i said and then saw him first first knew of him in uh doctor who doctor so who, yeah no but i i would say yeah uh, there, there were some things i was a little uh, I, I think they kind of overplayed his uh, kind of ruthlessness and, you know, kind of trying to, I would say that would be one little gripe that I had that they tried to force him trying to be the bad guy a little bit too much. Mm. I know that they cut out a lot of scenes of him, like basically being like a good dad or a good person because they kind of wanted to keep that kind of that character development that, yeah, like he, like uh, Clayton was saying, Surly, you know, kind of, he, he's the wild card. <laughs> wild card bitches yeah yeah so, wild card <laughs> <laughs> so but again great casting i think he's great uh it's really hard to portray somebody like that where you um really love uh certain times and then kind of hate and are disgusted at others so yeah i i again I, I mean i go back to the casting thing um but you know, overall, his character's been real interesting. I, I'm so excited to see, like, as the war starts, uh, the Civil War starts, and kind of how he evolves. He evolves uh, just from knowing the background material. But yeah, I, I'm really looking forward uh, to seeing his character evolve in the show. So I, um, I wasn't crazy <laughs> about the casting to start with. Uh, was it so his I'm... eyebrows? Was it? Was that what was bothering? No, me? no, it was. Uh, oh, I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to. That was go all there. over the internet. Like, um, well. I, I, I'm the. i just say it this way. I'm the opposite of you, Mister Sir Buck. Where I, I'm not really, not really crazy. I'm not a fangirl over Matt Smith because Matt Smith is the closest thing we have to a big name, like a, like a Sean Bean um, in the first season of That's Game of Thrones, where he was he was immediately recognizable. And I kind of yeah. wish they, um, in in hindsight, I kind of wish they gave everybody you know a up and comer chance instead of having this one big name like in, in this example matt smith i wish every single character was was not a no name but like 
someone we just haven't we're not used to or haven't been uh familiarized with things like that like we haven't seen them in anything else essentially because i was like oh this you know he grew on me definitely as uh as damon with his you know panty dropping uh targaryen energy uh but i just i don't know it it, it did take me a while to really kind of fall in love with that character though. in the early seasons he needs some blue chew <laughs> but i'll just sum it up as like um um he, i wasn't crazy about him in the beginning he did grow on me and i yeah i i feel like he did give the character justice and um yeah kind of to piggyback off of what you said clayton is is he he's good at he's gonna be uh, that perfect archetype of like there's gonna be a lot of arcs and re-arcs where it's like okay we're gonna kind of hate him and then love him i bet we'll probably hate him again in the future and then probably love him again you know there's gonna be i think as a character in and of itself i'll fall in love more with that than who's playing him personally so and i'll i'll just leave it at that that brings us to the last one on our list before we i'm gonna probably looking at the clock i'm gonna probably fly through the supporting characters so if you have anything to say about the supporting characters keep it short and sweet because we got to move on to the, the the real meat of the matter the art of the show um and that is uh the the glue of the characters is sir otto hightower played by right rice Ifens. And uh, I call him the glue because, you know, he's playing both sides even from the beginning. And eventually we all know he's going to side with the Greens and his daughter. But I think he that uh, he's he's probably up there with one of my favorites as well um, in terms of I in both the balance of character and 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 who and the performance of that character. It was wild to me that like when I was like, you know, look, you look who's playing who and like. Okay, what has this guy done for? And he's he's done a lot. He's done in, he's yeah, done like comedy, you know. He's yeah, done he a lot of comedy kicker. films. Yeah. He was the kicker in the Keanu Reeves. Oh, I remember. Oh yeah, <laughs> he was. Oh, yeah. That was him. That was him. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, I've never I've never seen pictured him playing such a serious schemer. Cool. <laughs> yeah, he did a really good job as 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 the schemer, as the as the the middleman, you know, that kind of tied both these families together, and how he was kind of the if you really think about it, he was the catalyst to the civil war. You know, he warned his daughter, like, if you don't do something, you're dead. Period. He was Lord Varys, right? You know, I remember how Varys had all the spiders and yeah, you could argue that he was, he, that's who Sir Otto is for me. I, I think one of the themes throughout the show and all the characters, they're trying to just do what's best for their family, no matter what, even if it's like really vile and cruel. So, I mean, he's he sees an opportunity. He's trying to get his daughter in a position to help his power and his family's power over time. You see this with almost every character in the show, and they do it in some different way. So, I, I mean, yeah, I think, again, the casting was great on this. But I, I really liked how, I mean, again, another character that I really just wanted to kind of come in and, and kind of punch in the face a little bit. <laughs> you know, that's when you know it's good, so. And that, yeah, and that concludes kind of the main characters. Uh, so Renera, uh, Allison Hightower, Viserys, Damon, and Otto. And so that brings us to some of the supporting characters. Again, I'm just going to fly through this real quick. We can't, we got to give a shout out to Princess Renice Targaryen, the queen that never was, played by Eve Best. Lord Corlos Valerian, her husband, played by Steve Tessaint. Sir Christian Cole is already joked about. Fabian Frankel. Lord Laris, I'm really going to like him. Uh, Lord Laris Strong, played by Matthew Needham. Uh, so he's 
much to your point of comparing characters from Game of Thrones, to me, he's like the de facto Littlefinger. You know, he's yeah. the he's the schemer. And Littlefinger, for the record, full disclosure, was always my favorite character in Game of Thrones because I love I love I love crazy smart villains that mm-hmm. know how to scheme, know how to press buttons, and is always a one step ahead of everybody else. I love that. Oh, those are my favorite written characters on the goddamn planet. We can't forget Prince Jaceris Jace Valerian, played by Her- Harry, oh, the older one, played by Harry Collette. There was a lot of younger iterations. Uh, Prince Laceris Valerian, played by Elliot Gruholt. Prince King, Prince slash King Aegon the Second Targaryen, played by Tom Glenn Carney, and probably uh, a lot of our fan favorites, uh, Prince Aemon Tar- Targaryen. So this is Aemon, Aemon the One Eye. So I, I thought he, he in the books he's famously kind of a cartoonish villain, and I love mm-hmm. that he was written with a little more nuance. A perfect example of that is what is called restraint acting, where when he when his dragon kills. The other dragon at the at the end of the episode, at the end of the season, you could tell he was like, oh, fuck, Oops. I didn't mean for this to happen. Yep. Not bad. Just and from a look on his face. Well, know? that whole scene was interesting because they don't really, if, if I remember correctly in the book, don't really allude to it as it being more of the dragons kind of. Misbehavior. right it's still i think and this mm-hmm. brings up a good point you know these dragons are still animals we have to think of them like horses you know as much as they as targaryens can control them they're yeah. still a wild animal that may just fucking snap and that's yeah. what happened it's like owning a wolf you know yeah. a wolf dog okay. yeah you know? yeah, yeah. When you, you have you don't squirrels know. in your backyard and they just lose their mind every time oh, they really? see a squirrel yes <laughs> Not with, that our dire, with our dire wolves <laughs> or or they, or they bring one to your uh, window just to show you it's a present they, it's a present <laughs> yeah. they got something for you so yeah i loved i really loved um what uh you and mitchell did with amond prince amon Tar- targaryen and that brings us to more of you know um the art in in our art show which is cinematography and direction i i thought you know, Game of Thrones really raised the bar. That's why we're talking about on this show again, because they changed television forever. It created a new golden era of television. And this is that natural evolution of that. And we're seeing that in the cinematography and direction. Everything looked beautiful. Every I know there was a lot of, I need a way to talk about this, color theory versus lighting, because a lot of people bitched about the dark scenes being too dark. I okay. disagree. No, I, thought I they were fine. agree with that. I, yeah. I have a TV that I've meticulously set up all the color i think that's part of the problem is what they were watching it on because i have a good setup as well and i felt like well it was nighttime scenes they need to be a little dark i would say if i have any argument it was that the light scenes were a little too light for me honestly no i i'll go the the other way the darks (laughs) i i think that yeah whatever they were watching on they they need to turn down the brightness the back exactly a little bit uh because there was one scene where i this would be like me in a movie theater when i've i've noticed there's bad color correcting and stuff like that and i'm turning around to see if the projector's still on um <laughs> this was the same with me i was like whoa 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 why can't i see anything i turn off all the lights i'm like trying to see and i'm like going through all the settings and i finally had to switch it to game mode on my mm. tv out of my custom mode so yeah I, mm, they needed to work on that they they had some uh special effects mishaps just i know oh what what let's yeah I'm... so so one of the episodes they, they went in here's the beauty of of you know streaming and stuff like that now they can go in and, and edit it but um that's true yeah. on one of the series he was wearing a green screen glove on his hand to no show, like, shit i never noticed that and well it's very brief but a lot of people picked up on it online they didn't um 
they didn't edit it out. But then they eventually edited it out once it was pointed out, right? Yes, it's it's so you can't uh, see it right now. Starbucks coffee cup of this of this. Oh, uh, I remember that thing, like that happened in the last last series. Yep. Yeah, there's a reason HBO drops these um, Sunday nights. This is not a show you watch during the day. You really need it a movie yeah. theater type setting to to watch mm-hmm. it. Um, I thought the the lighting um, of the setting while. It's challenging at times. I think that adds to the irrealism of it. You know, mm-hmm. there is, we're going over to this world where it is, you know, maybe not as gritty and, and dark as Game of Thrones was at times, but it is not a happy show. So this is not supposed to be lighting and like cheery and everybody, let's go, right? Tournaments, yeah. It's it's dark and, and eerie. And the scene that I thought they did the lighting the best was right after Viserys died. And you're going, and it's really hard to see because it's about four in the morning. You can just feel in the scene like, "Oh, this this is not good." Like now, now it's about to be on. That that and the foreboding aspect of when uh, Luke was was going to Storm's End. You're like, "Yeah, that little bastard's not coming back, is he?" Yeah, yep. <laughs> yeah. I think we all felt that way. We were like, "This is not a good idea." Why are we sending the little boys to fucking? to send these you know send the message I, I this is bad this is a bad idea this is gonna end badly and it did well i will say i agree with you clayton on the lighting um that's one thing that also drives me nuts is when i'm watching a period piece or show where you definitely can tell in the room they've got some sort of stage lighting thing going on so if, if i take it from that aspect it, that does bring a lot of atmosphere it's kind of like a barry linden uh novo kubrick like a kubrick remember he had yeah to film that that uh film they they used special lenses so they could use natural light from candles and stuff like that because film it was just it would be really hard to see they thought it'd be too dark but i think it was like nasa helped him basically come up with these these uh lenses but yeah i i still but yeah there was that one i think it was the beach scene oh no i remember it it was when um uh Amond was trying to find the dragon and maybe mm. it was purposely supposed to be dark like that but i was like what the hell is going on my nitpicks are and this is you know emphasis on nitpick i don't think it was that noticeable but you know being such a a a student of of cinema you know trying to understand and study cinematography and direction and and um creating the look of the show the aesthetic of the show that was probably i was shocked that the gripes were on the back end on the dark end I was like, no, this that was fine, you know. Uh, I I always I always in my head was a little more um, critical of the 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 bright daylight scenes where I was like, this is almost too pretty and perfect. Like it's you could tell that they're in post when they're editing it uh, with the with the CG artists and stuff, you know, to bring in dragons and stuff like that. They were were lighting it just a smidge lighter and almost putting that like that soft filter onto characters. Some of that might've been, they did some of it in the volume. You think so? Yeah. I'm wondering if. Oh, talk a little bit. Okay. So this is a good piggyback to uh, the show. Me and Buck did together. Talk about very quickly. Got to keep it brief. The, the power of the volume, AKA stagecraft and uh, how it was used in the show to, to create, to create the cinematography lighting. And so they could direct it in a way to make it more cinematic. Yeah, so if you've watched The Mandalorian, you've seen the volume, which the volume is basically a stage, a circular stage full of uh, very high definition. So we're talking about 
above 8K, um, basically screens that emulate um, the world around you. So they can go in, they can create a virtual world that's seamlessly indistinguishable um, from the setting around you. So they can do it in real time and also have the lighting effects there. So yeah, basically you can create a world in a stage wherever you're at instantly. And it's dynamic. So like, I think that's important too, is instead of traditional green screen technology, it's dynamic and we can move the camera around to create that, that beautiful cinematic, uh, essence and look that we are so used to in television and film and still allow the actors to act. And, and then in post that this technology will help, uh, light it correctly and all those other things so that it's not something that they have to essentially fix in post, but just um, help to just complete essentially. Yeah. As I said in our episode, these, these walls, these screens are so uh, high definition and realistic. They had to put things on the floor to tell people to not run into the walls. That's actually, that's probably a good segue to the, that the, the next level of the look of the show, which is set design, which is a lot where a lot of the show came from is with these high definition screens and using stuff like the stagecraft or the volume. And of course, wardrobe, which is giving the aesthetic look of, you know, the all of the shots and the settings and obviously the characters. And I, I don't have a ton to say. They they hit it out of the park. Everyone looked looked and the world looked real for, for lack of a better word. So I have a comparison again for when we're talking about wardrobe and setting pieces i'm going back to the bezos thing <laughs> yeah so so i'll, I'll just say my piece and i'll let you, you you speak on it amazon spent a ton a, of money a billion dollars <laughs> on on this damn show and it still looked cheap and i could not figure this out and i was reading online why this is apparently because, you know, HBO is part of Warner Brothers, they have this huge inventory of wardrobe set pieces and things from films over the years that they can just kind of pull in at a moment's notice and have their picking to do it. And everything looks amazing. I think it also has to do with the lighting and how you film things, too. But, man, that was such a big thing to me. And I didn't realize it until when you're really comparing the two of how much better House of the Dragon looked than uh, Rings of Power. Yeah, I, I know. I totally agree. My, I think, uh, and I, I, I'll, you know, I haven't seen all of Rings of Power or, or much of it, quite frankly. A lot of reasons. <laughs> not one because, episode over here because not, of not the use, the overuse of CGI on, yes. on their end, and yeah. I, I feel like it takes great restraint to use CGI where necessary. And and, and I don't think House of the Dragon did the best it, it, where everywhere where they used CGI either. Mm-hmm. But 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 using some of that restraint did show through to me um, with some of the wardrobe. Like towards the end of Game of Thrones, we were getting a little leather heavy, so like border, <laughs> bordering on like Sons yeah. of Anarchy. Yeah, um, yeah. We, a little BDSM we, we, in here. We we pulled that back uh, with House of the Dragon and got back more <laughs> to to cloth, which which I appreciated. I'm gonna I'm gonna I want to set up the next segment by asking you a question. Then Clayton, how do you? Why do you feel like some of the CG was missing the mark? Then the dragons. The you dragons. think so? Yeah. I thought the dra- dragons, for the most part, felt pretty, 
or looked pretty real felt pretty real within the world and how and how the real actors had to you know you know they were clearly writing like a mechanical green screen bull or whatever but they looked like they were really on them too it wasn't always like some of the dragon scenes were awesome right the the last one was outstanding even the one when they had to hit that one (laughs) Damon, yeah, right. Uh, when Damon and and Lena were entertaining the the Pintosi crowds, right, and they were doing you know flying around, doing this that, and the other, it was really when the dragons were interacting with physical structures. When yeah. they when when she came through the floorboards, she was like, okay, that that wasn't very good, it, CGI. Um, or when Rhaenyra would land on the Dragonstone path. There was a little uncanny. You move into there. uncanny valley. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and so you're I, because I what they have to do, what people don't know, for the good people listening, you know, they have to switch from the real actress being on this, you know, green screen mechanical bull to a CG version of her, you know. So they have to they have to switch between those depending on the needs of the scene and the movement of whatever is going on, you know them landing yeah the dragon on a on a castle or something like that and that's where i think the biggest shifts and because we're humans are we are great at this we're 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 evolutionarily speaking designed to be good at looking at things that that don't feel human i mean it's just like what we said in our last episode you know these are tools and you can use tools the right way or you can use them the wrong way and sometimes you're, they're not used the right way. It's a crutch, it, not a tool. It's a crutch. Yeah. It becomes, it, I mean, a Jaws is the best example I can, I always use is that Jaws wouldn't have been the movie that it was if the shark didn't work. Yeah, I mean, it didn't. Well, see. that's a whole nother discussion too, because we didn't see the shark for most of the movie. That's, well, that's part what of I that, mean. that dread, the terror it's building. Because they didn't rely on it as a crutch as the thing. It was more of the suspense behind it. I think with CGI, it's the same thing. It's like, do you really need to show them getting off and on the dragons? That's like true. That? And that, that goes back to direction. Like, why are we choosing to show this thing if it's not necessary? And I think some of them were and some of them won't. And that kind of creates probably the imbalance that Clayton was talking about in seeing this uncanny valley where it's like, yeah, I can kind of see that this, is, this isn't real. I mean, we know it's not real for the record, but um, that within the context of the show, it, it looks very fake. You know, we the, the illusion is broken. It looks like you guys are scoring, both of you, that it's a solid B. It's not A-plus CGI, but uh, so that was good, good constructive criticisms because you've been you've been uh, giving it a little too much praise to the show. Uh, but I think that's a good segue to um, an area where we will always praise the ultimate glue that is these shows, which is um, editing and music, specifically music, uh, done again by the great uh, Raymond Jawadi. Again, I apologize if I'm butchering that name, but he did the scoring, uh, hence why they use the exact same theme music. He did the scoring for Game of Thrones and obviously House of the Dragon, and it's... Uh, perfect it's it's well-crafted music question clayton were you upset that they used the uh game of thrones theme for the intro no it took me within two seconds i was you know transported right back to where we left and yeah i I saw some people like it's not broken It, it didn't need to be fixed so I was surprised when I heard some of the backlash to that, but I mean, I shouldn't be surprised anymore. I, I feel like there's backlash to anything. You could, you could fan service something up a hundred percent and somebody's going to hate it. So I, I was more surprised. I heard as much again. I, I think, you know, do you think it should have been a brand new theme then? Oh no. I mean, it's like in the same thing. Like, yeah, it, it, it's kind of like, uh, 
you know, like Star Wars movies or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I I agree with Clayton and 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 you. Uh, it 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 tied them together. I am actually glad they kept the original theme. And if they keep doing these spinoffs and prequels or whatever they, else they want to do, guys, if you're listening, oh, we we have to talk about this in every show. I know they're a big fan, the huge fans of the show, the showrunners of House of the Dragon, Game of Thrones, all that shit, guys. As you're listening, go ahead and do that for all the other shows. We'd love it. <laughs> so let's go to final thoughts. I love it. I would give it 6.2 out of 7 of the pointed stars. <laughs> I like that. The, the, uh, the very interesting... He wrote, he wrote a dynamic. lot of notes again, guys. Yes, I always do. Uh, the interesting dynamic of the man's battlefield versus the woman's battlefield and the woman's battlefield playing far bigger of a role than the stepstones right in in season one um i thought it was a, a very interesting take on on all of this you know we've got we've got the the characters in the setting and everything like this but the focus of saying eh, the woman's battlefield is really where the game is is played well, it was very interesting it's like poetry it rhymes um sorry i always that george lucas again yeah um no i I agree with clayton um yeah there's a lot of a lot of similarities to the original series you know the most powerful uh people in this are obviously the the women this is really setting it up for you really a battle between uh two very powerful females um you know have different uh you know, but very similar goals. So overall, um, I, I won't do the seven scale. I was going to say I've got this, you know, right about out of eight, ten dragons, eighty-eight <laughs> out of a hundred. Yeah, <laughs> out of ten dragons, eight point nine dragons out of 10. out of this fourteen dragons still around. It's about a twelve. No, but yeah, I'd say out of like a hundred, I'd give it like an eighty-eight out of a hundred so far. I love it. I think this is you're setting it up for. Yeah. Um, you know, some bigger things to happen and it gets really messy. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited to see the, uh, downfall of house Targaryen, even though they lasted for a while <laughs> after that, this is really, you know, what started their downfall overall. So it's kind of cool to see. I agree with both you gentlemen. And, uh, there's not much more that I need to say in effect that I, yeah, it kind of goes back to our original discussion of um, this is still the beginning, and I think it's only going to get better from here. So um, I don't think I was going to do like a red letter media style of instead of why study this kind of conclusion question is, do you recommend it? But it sounds like it's it's a it's a unanimous yes from all of us. So I guess uh, if there is any, I don't think there will be any rebuttals here. Do we recommend it? Yes, we recommend House of the Dragon. Check it out, guys. And there you have it. Season one, from top to bottom, a little of everything. Thanks for listening. I want to thank my, the Dracaris brothers. But before we go, you know, there's a little extra, a little cherry on top, a little icing for that cake with what we call the gym of the week. If you're new to the show, don't know what the gym of the week is, something we like to talk about here at the end that doesn't always fit into the scheme of the episode because it may just be on our radar in the last day, maybe last week, maybe last month. I don't know, but we want to give it to you guys because we want to help you dig deeper. Now, before we go into that, of course, we need to talk about their sponsor. Gems are sponsored by Zencaster. Zencaster is our go-to tool for remote podcast recordings. What's great is that you can record separate audio and video tracks, and it's all backed up on a secured cloud so you never lose your hard work. 
even better. It's easy to use, and there's nothing to download. So go to zen.ai, that's Z-E-N.ai slash art of the beholder, or just use promo code art of the beholder and get 30% off your first three months with the pro account. Now back to the gems. Mine is, uh, I'm late to the party. I'm going to keep it short and sweet because I want to hear your guys' gems. It's, uh, I finally got around to seeing Jordan Peele's film, Nope. It's, uh, I think this is going to be an unpopular opinion, but I think this is the greatest film he's done of his, for, of his three films. I, I haven't seen it yet. I, I really it's, haven't. It's ex- yeah. When you weigh out everything, so I know a lot of people are like, no, Get Out was better. I don't think anybody's going to say Us was better, but a lot of people I think have already, already argued with me, my my wife, TV Del Rio um, in particular. I think Nope is um, when you weigh out everything, so story, cinematography, direction, music, when it's all laid out and you're kind of scoring those subjectively, I think Nope is his best overall well-rounded film. I, I was I was incredibly captivated by everything he wanted to do with it, and I was very happy with. I can't wait to see more. I didn't mention Andor last time, did I? You did. You did mention Andor. I did yeah. Andor wow. not as a gym though? Oh, well, so you not can as do it a as a gym. I'm yeah. doing it as a gym. Um, the gym was the documentary, hey, the ILM one. That's right. That's right. Okay. Hey, kids, kids, people, listen, listen. Um, I'm a Star Wars fan. I don't know if you knew get that out of here. You no. But hey, I am really digging this show. It is totally different from what we've seen. If you're complaining about it and you're saying it doesn't feel like Star Wars, you're probably probably a prequel kid. Uh, shut up. This is exactly <laughs> like what we needed in Tough here. Titties. It feels like 1970s THX 1138. Oh, let's uh, go. There, there's a lot of great storyline. You don't, hey, you don't need lightsabers and the force in every single damn nah. thing. Nah, it is nah. cool to see the underside and get actually character studies and really feel people and, and their struggles and see the empire in a different light. So uh, if you have not checked it out, I highly recommend it. It is probably the most accessible uh, Star Wars show for non-Star Wars fans. So, yes, I've actually uh, got a book as my gym. So it's uh, it's the ghost map by Steven Johnson. It's about uh, the 1954 outbreak of cholera in London, which, you know, what, what, what relevance does that have? Well, you know, it was a pandemic. Um, and we're familiar with that. Yes. Yeah. Just, just a little, <laughs> just a little um, bit, yeah. and you know, they figured out there was, there was this famous physician uh, who figured out that it wasn't like sewer gases, but it actually came from contaminated drinking water and drinking water. Yeah. That physician just so happened to be named Dr. John Snow. Oh, shit. Really? And it's all connected. Snap. (laughs) It's like poetry. Dr. John Snow. It's like poetry. Oh, guys, check it out. The Ghost Map by Stephen Johnson. Guys, check it out. If you like that, of course, you can check out some of our stuff at NobodayProductions.com. There you'll find things like the Entropy Sessions, as already stated, Post Meridium, Adulteration, Cancel Culture Lotto. Of course, you'll see more ads for these shows or for this show, and you can check out some of our other shows. Don't forget to follow us at underscore Novo underscore Day and Day is D-E and and at Noboday Media. And as always, like, subscribe, follow, hit the notification bell, do all the things. Buck, tell them what to do. Smash that like button. (laughs) Smash that like button, rate and review. And if you'd like to sponsor our little love child or be on the show, you can actually reach Clayton at NovaDayMedia at gmail.com. You can also check out my colleagues at, for Mr. Anderson, Casey Food Dude, 
on Instagram and Mr. Buck on Parrot Head Relief. He still has a GoFundMe page. Check him out. Give him some money. Get him out of jail. We'd appreciate it. Yeah, I and and for folks in December, I will be at uh, Margaritaville in Puerto Vallarta. Oh yeah, he's going on a little um, tour. I forgot about yes, that. Yeah, so, plug that. Uh, please, please, you'll join me there. I'll put the details on my Parrot Head forum uh, account. But I will be doing a meet and greet there. Uh, so please see me there in line for my May couple tour, uh, you know, 2022. So he's going to play a couple songs. He's going to sign autographs. Yep. He's going to do pictures. It's going to be a great time. And I think you guys will have an absolute parrot head blast. So until next time, be good to each other. And as always, good luck and Godspeed. We love you. Part of the Beholder is brought to you by Novo Day Productions. Created and hosted by Novo Day and the Novo Day Collective. Facebook.com slash Novo Day Media, at Novo Day Media on Twitter and Instagram. Music by A Company. Facebook.com slash Aco Music 123, Aco on Spotify. Logo designed by Tom Justice, J E S T U S, of thejusticecompany.com, and executively produced by Clayton Anderson. All rights reserved.